want to talk to you about compassion, the beauty of compassion. As I was thinking about this, this theme and my contribution here and the opportunity to share, I was drawn to a, two pieces of scripture, but really they're not just two pieces of scripture. They're actually two occasions in which Jesus shared a perspective. I want to look at the Gospels. I want to look at a moment where Jesus was looking at a large group of people and made a statement about what he considered to be the condition of the human race. And then I also would like us to visit another teaching that Jesus gave in which he talked about how we are, we who would follow him and we who would love God are to be thinking about touching other people in his name. So we're going to start with the, the first one. It's found in Matthew 9. And uh, again, let's just kind of read this together. Matthew 9, verse 35 through 38. It says here that Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. He was both proclaiming and healing. It says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were, they were weary and they were scattered. And it was like they had uh, no shepherd, although they were sheep without a shepherd. It was, it was something that touched the heart of Jesus. Now, when we think of the word compassion, I don't know, I mean, I, maybe some of us have a really good, quick understanding of how we would define it. If someone said to us, you know, how would you define the word compassion? We might have different answers. I, I suspect most of our answers would involve some, some expression of love. I mean, obviously, there's an emotion in the word. The, the word seems to bleed with a pathos. When it says Jesus saw the multitudes with his eyes and he looked at them and he was, his heart was moved with compassion, there was something about him that went out to them. I mean, many people have talked about compassion being a, like love with a sigh or a love that has an element of pain in it because it, it is connecting with a condition that seems to, to call out for help. And so, so it says Jesus was moved with compassion. And an interesting description here because he says he saw them as what? Weary, as a, as a, as a vulnerable flock, weary, that is worn down by life and scattered, that is directionless, without a clear sense of where they were going, no guiding point. And, and it's like his heart went out for them when he saw them like this. And, he, and, you know, and it's interesting because this is how, in many ways, you know what we, we were talking about, this, some of us this morning, about how even though Jesus said that 2,000 years ago about a large mass of people that he saw as representative in many ways of humanity as a whole, that in reality, in our modern world, there's Things haven't changed that much. The, the external things have changed. Technology's changed. Our clothing, our, if I can use it, our outer skin is different. But inside, human beings are still the same. There's still something about the, the, the way we were, are hardwired to need God. And people can talk about it in all different ways. But at the end of the day, the words of Augustine, Augustine still apply that, that our hearts are restless till we find our rest in you. Or like what Pascal, the great French philosopher, said, there is a, a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every human being that's been created by God, and it can only really be filled by him. That in many ways, one could argue that all of, our, all of us have a yearning to fill a space that only God can fill. And so much of what people often do out of that pain and that yearning is connected to a desire to fill that space. And so it's not uncommon for people to try to fill that with uh, different types of substances or to people become, we become codependent or addicted to things because there's something in us that is, is wanting to be filled up. Other times I've noted that people will try to fill that, that gap with other people. And although other people can be a tremendous gift to us and we are social creatures created by a social God, if you will, made to know and love other people, 
there is still something inside of every human being that intrinsically yearns for God. It's sort of like it's in us to want to connect with him. There's a part of us that yearns for that connection. And it just shows up. It shows up. People will try to fill it with the pursuit of different things and plug it in there, but it doesn't work. It doesn't fill it up. That's what Jesus was getting at. That ultimately, real life, there's a space in there that was put there that only God can fill. And so any other attempt to fill it will ultimately not result in genuine, deep satisfaction. There will still always be a quest for meaning and purpose apart from God. There will always be a sense of internal weariness, or if we can put it this way, a kind of internal desperation that periodically will show itself up, a rootlessness, a discontinuity inside of us that yearns for God. Jesus was talking about this all the time. But one of the interesting things here is he went on to describe the human race not simply like a, a vulnerable flock, scattered about. But he also had another description. You can see what he, what he so he, he couples his first description of the multitudes and the masses with a secondary description. It's the one that I would like us to see. Let's follow on what he says. It says, then he said to his disciples, so after he says this about the, the people, his heart going out to them with compassion and he, how he sees them as a sh- sheep scattered, um, weary, worn, and in need of, of direction and meaning, he then turns to his disciples and he says this, I tell you something, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray you, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the harvest. It's interesting because he doesn't say, you know, look at the harvest, it's plenteous, the laborers are few, Um, comparatively speaking, there's such a great need and so few people willing to step into that need. You need to go and do it now. It's almost like he said, that's implied. That's already understood. But what I really want you to do is pray for people to be touched by God in such a way that they will pursue the harvest. They will move into the harvest. You need to think about it. When you look at it closely, I mean, harvesting is an interesting uh, analogy that Jesus uses because he's clearly saying to all of us who would follow him and love him, I want you to share my heart for the harvest. But what does a harvest imply? It implies a lot of things, sowing. Um, reaping, it implies planting seeds, watering that seed. It, Im- it implies, you know, letting that seed grow to a point where it is harvested. And it talk- really, if you think about it, it implies hard work and patience. I mean, it takes, harvesting takes hard work. There was effort involved. He, he was saying, this is not going to come easy. There- there's such a great need for people to see the reality of God. Through you, he's saying, but it's not going to come easy. It's going to cost you something. It's, it's going to require sacrifice and a willingness to go into it and work hard. And Jesus says that honestly, the amount of people that are willing, willing to actually do that are, are so small compared to the greatness of the need. Pray you, therefore, that God will put it in the hearts of human beings to be a responsive people. And this is so meaningful for what we've been talking about because everything about it has to do with the idea that we are to live our lives. If we're going to follow Christ, then we also are going to have to share as well a heart for the harvest that God has to the people that are around us. And a lot of times it's easy to do in a theoretical sense, but when it really comes out down to living it out in a practical way, it gets a little more challenging. And that brought me to another conversation that Jesus had. That was a setup for what has to be one of the most sublime and beautiful, simple, but profound stories that Jesus ever taught. But it was a response to a, an inquiry that was made. In other words, his story was given out of a conversation that was, a, that was initiated by a man who the Bible says was a lawyer. 
A lawyer in Jesus' day was sometimes called a scribe. A scribe was someone who was, like our lawyers today, a stu student of the law, but their law was different. When they talked about the law, they were talking about the Mosaic law, the law of the scripture, five books, the Pentateuch, Torah. They were, they were experts in the law of scripture. And so this particular lawyer was listening to Jesus teach, and he felt compelled to challenge him and ask him a question around what really it meant to please God and what was it that had to be done if one wanted to achieve a place where we could receive the gift of life and life overflowing in an eternal way. Jesus answers that question this way. So let's watch what happens. Let's go back. Luke 10 with me, if you can. Verse 25, it says, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tested Jesus. He was challenging him, trying to see if he could catch him. Some, oh, I just want to see his answer. He says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, Jesus said back to him, as it was often the case when Jesus was challenged by someone, he, with a question, Jesus would often refer back to them with a question. And he said, well, you tell me. What, do you th what is written in the law? What is, what is uh, your reading of it? How would you answer your own question? Well, it says, so he answered and said, well, I would answer it this way. I would say this, that you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. What he was answering was essentially the combination of the Shema of Deuteronomy, love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, with a command in Leviticus to love your neighbor as yourself. He was basically saying the essence of the law is this, that you love God and you love people. You love God and you love people. He says, if you do this, you have essentially summarized the entire purpose of the law. It was what he was getting at, right? Love God, love people. And you know what Jesus said? You have answered well. And even in this, the question itself, it was like something, the way in which it was framed, it must have bothered him because it's almost like the, the lawyer is bothered by Jesus is sort of saying, you've already got it, do it. He, he felt the need to qualify. And, I, and a lot of the issue was connected to this idea of loving others as yourself. In other words, love your neighbor. And so a lot of the debate at that time was, well, who really is my neighbor? And so Jesus' answer was somewhat broad. And, and that was bothersome to someone in his situation because he wanted a very specific answer so that he could clearly delineate his obligation. Again, rule base. Jesus doesn't do it. He intentionally, almost like he's using judo, if you will, takes it back and throws it back at him and says, do it. But, 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 do what? Do what? 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 Who is my neighbor? Who is my? I, I, one more question. I, I need you to answer. Can you tell me? Who is my neighbor? Who is neighbor in your definition? And Jesus turns to him. And whenever Jesus says this phrase or something like it, you know things are about to get very intense. When he says, let me tell you a story. When Jesus says, let me tell you a story, that's like a little clue. It's like, watch out, because where we're going is going to take this teaching right into the very depths of your being. And it is about to pull the veneer off you and show you in front of everyone. You're going to see yourself in a way you've never seen yourself before. I'm going to tell you a very simple story, my friend. Come on and listen to me. There was a certain man. He was a traveling man. Look at it. He says this. He was going down from, look at verse 30, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He had gone on the notorious road 
the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, the road to Jericho. That road, by the way, which you can still see today in some form, about 17 miles long. You drop about 3,500 feet, 34. It's uh, still to this day pretty desolate land. And it's a place where you can clearly see in that dry and desolate place how people could have been hiding out. And uh, certainly this was the case in Jesus' story. It was a place where robbers lurked and where bandits were, you know, infested. They infested. It was infested with bandits. And so Jesus is talking about this road, and he's saying, you know, there was a man who, who was walking down the road. And everybody knew when you went on that road and you went alone, you needed to be very careful because you could get, in what we would use in our vernacular, you could get jumped at any time. And it was like, he, they immediately understood what he, was, what he was talking about. You know that road, the road Jericho, where people get robbed all the time, beat up, and it says there was a man who was making his way down there. And he had, he had bad timing. And he got caught alone. Look what it says happened. It says a certain man went down, and he fell among thieves. And you know what they did to him, Jesus said? They beat him up so bad that he was barely breathing. He was half dead. Not only that, they took everything he had. And Jesus said, not only that, they stripped him down. We can't tell if Jesus meant, did he have anything left, or was he totally naked, thrown on the side of the road with nothing, barely breathing, beat up on every side. Jesus says, that man was thrown to the side. He says, and then, he, then Jesus goes on to say, but you know what? By chance, a certain priest came down that road. It would have been a contemporary of this lawyer. A man who, by the way, would have fit in the framework of who he defined neighbor as. Priest would came down that road, and when he saw that man on the side, he, he got scared, and he passed by on the other side. And then likewise, there was a Levite, a worker in the temple. When he arrived at the place, he came, and he looked and passed by also on the other side. I don't want to get involved. Maybe he had other... We can, many, 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 many have talked about the priest and the Levite, and I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on what follows. Because Jesus said this, but you know, there was a certain Samaritan. Now, when he said that word, he would have immediately got the attention of the scribe. Because you see, for the scribe, Samaritan didn't fit in the bracket of neighbor. There was tremendous tension between Samaritan and the Jews. Jesus was very aware of it. He was a man of his times. He understood it. There was ethnic tension. There was religious tension. There was social tension. There were deep-seated prejudices that went in both directions. And you read the story of the woman at the well where Jesus meets that woman, and one of her questions that caught her off guard is that when Jesus starts talking to her, he does, she doesn't say, you're talking to me. You know, why are you talking to me? She, just because I'm a woman, that's the only reason why she would be caught off guard. She says, I'm a Samaritan. And we don't, have you noticed our people don't talk to each other? Because there was tension there. So when Jesus says, there was a Samaritan, he says this, and so he, look what happens. He says, likewise, he says, this Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, here's that phrase again. The same thing that was said of Jesus in Matthew 9. He had compassion. He had compassion, and so he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, and he poured oil and wine on him, cleaned him up, and then he set him up on his own animal, his donkey, and he brought him to an inn, and he took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii. You know, one denarii was about a, a day's wage for a common worker, two a little bit more. Innkeeper would have been very happy to have such an amount of money given to him. And he's, this man went on to say, though, the Samaritan said this. I want, he gave it to the innkeeper, and he said, listen, I need you to take care of him. 
And uh, if I need to do something else. I'm going to be coming back later, and you know I'm a man. I'm good on my accounts. But when, when, whatever you need, if it's more than what I've given you, you, you go ahead and spend it. You take care of him. I'll repay you when I come back around. I'm good for it. So which of these, Jesus pauses. I'm going to ask you now, which of these three was the neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? He doesn't want to say the Samaritan, so he does the next best thing, right? Why? <laughs> Obviously, the, 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 the man who showed him mercy. Jesus said, good. You go and you do the same thing. You go and do likewise. Go and do like that. It was almost like Jesus was reframing a question. The lawyer says, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, that's not really the question. The question is, what kind of neighbor are you? And by the way, when he says go and do likewise, just quickly here, just quickly note the three things that he did. One, what did the, what did the good Samaritan do? One, he saw with compassionate eyes, right? He saw the man. Again, when we look at the words, we see it. It's just the same, it's the same phrase that's used of Jesus, right? It's like both ha- passages have to do with seeing so he saw with compassion. His eyes, he saw. He, he looked. He, he saw this man. He saw the other person. He saw with compassionate eyes, just like Jesus saw the multitudes with, with eyes of compassion. But he didn't just see. What else are we told? He acted on that compassion. So there is the sense that this man didn't simply move in a point of sympathy, but he moved into a point of active response. And that takes it to a whole nother, another level. There was real Engagement on the part of the Samaritan. There was tangible movement and attentiveness and care. But that, and it was a good work. Remember, we talked about Matthew, um, how we talk about shining our light. Let your light so shine before people, before men, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We talked about the need for human goodness in the name of Christ. The, there was no question that the Samaritan is modeling a good deed, but he does even more than that. In Jesus' story, he not only sees with compassion, acts with compassion, but what does he do? He goes the extra mile and puts this man up, pulls away from whatever agenda he had, takes him to the inn. Not only does he take him to the inn, but he then says, I'm going to pay for his bills. And not only am I going to pay for his bills, but if there's anything more that I, that I haven't given you already that it needs to be paid out, I'll pay for that too. That's a lot of what, that was like an extra mile. Now, as I want to do because I believe ultimately this is where the Christian life must be lived out, far from the place of intellectual exchange and theological appreciation into the realm of real life and everyday living for Jesus. I want to talk about it. How do we take this into our real world? Because this is where so many of Jesus' teachings brought us. When it was all said and done, it was more than just believing the right things. It was rolling them out into the challenging places of our lives. And so I want to talk about this. How can we apply this? Let me suggest, firstly that there are going to be times, number one, when times when you and I are going to have to wrestle with the question of who is my neighbor? And secondly, what is my responsibility to them? And you say, well, that's, a, that's kind of an easy question. No, it is not. No, it isn't. Now, sometimes the neighbor is clearly like this, like this marriage, someone who's a stranger, uh, someone who's maybe an outcast or disenfranchised. And, and that, we understand that. And that is a, a, very much a possibility that we, that is our neighbor. But there are other times I want to suggest where our neighbor is not a stranger, where our neighbor may be a real neighbor, 
A neighbor may be a friend of ours. A neighbor may also be someone who we work with who it is very challenging to deal with. Who is my neighbor? There are going to be times, there may be times when we are put into situations where we're going to have to really ask. Sometimes it may be someone we're in church with or someone who's in our family that we're struggling. There are going to be situations where we are going to have to sit with the question of who is my neighbor and what is my responsibility in this situation? Because a lot of times it will be easier for us to serve something and maybe not engage it at a relational level. I guess what I'm asking is how, when we've got tension at a relational level, at a level where it's not about helping someone who we don't know, which is a good and right thing to do. But I'm talking about where a lot of our stuff breaks down is in the everyday relational situations that we find ourselves in where, we are at, where God is asking us, are you loving in this context, this person, the way that I want you to love them? And are we being responsive to the need that is there? And we're going to be presented with those situations all the time. And we're going to have to sit with that and think about it and wrestle with it. And it's one, again, I, I think that one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, what would being a good Samaritan look like in the context of this relational strife that I find myself in? What is the will of Christ for me here? What does it mean for me to go the extra? What does it mean for, for me to model this in my everyday life where I'm connecting with people. And it's always amazed me how much cha more challenging it can be at times to really genuinely love people who we know well better because it requires a different type of investment. And that leads me to the second piece, which is this, is that there are going to be times where we are going to be given what I call compassion opportunities. Those are situations where you and I are going to be confronted, and we get to decide, do we really want to act? Uh, you know, are we going to respond to God? Because we might feel like the Lord is saying, you know what, you need to go the extra mile here. You need to go, and you need to, you need to listen, or you need to, you need to get involved. But I don't want to get involved. I've got my own stuff going on. I don't want to do that. It's a mess. I don't even like that person. But the Lord is saying, you know what? This is time to live it out. Step out in Christ's name. I don't want to do it, Lord. I got other stuff going on. Lord, I don't want to have to work through this. I'd rather ignore it. Lord, I, what is my response? What is my, I'm going to tell you, there are compassion opportunities. There are times where situations will arise in our life. This is what I'm trying to say. You know, that where we're going to have to decide, am I willing to not simply feel bad about it, but I'm willing to invest myself at some level, get my hands dirty? Am I willing to, okay, the Samaritan, you know what he did? What did he do? I, I'm, in my mind, he wasn't just toting along his donkey. I see him as sitting on his donkey, right? I see him as riding on his donkey. And I suspect that when he saw that man, he had to get off of his donkey. And so I almost titled this message, Get Off Your Donkey. <laughs> but I decided, I decided that might not be a good idea. But the message is pretty good. Because there are times where God is calling us to get off the donkey and do something about the compassion that we say we feel. Because you know what? It's going to require an effort. And that's where a lot of our stuff breaks down. Because there are times where we're going to be inconvenienced, where it's not going to be easy, where we're going to, have to, where we're going to be invited to get off of our agenda and pay attention when more than words are required. And in fact, for some of us, it means that we are going to have to be open to giving our time, for others of us, our money. You know, and we're different people. So, you know, I, I'm a student, I mentioned, I'm a student of, of people who are, are successful. I like to see how people construct their lives. It's very intriguing to me. I like to read about how people 
uh, construct their lives and manage their time. It, it's always been fascinating to me. And um, one of the things I've noted is that for some people, their time is far more valuable to them than their money. But for other people, their money is, is more valuable. But I, wherever we fall out on that, there are times where God is going to ask us to be resp responsive to, to the things that matter most to us. Where do we fall out on that continuum? Each one of us has to answer that own question. But I'll tell you this. Sometimes one of the most challenging things that we're being asked to give, and I really mean this, is a genuine listening ear that really seeks to understand, that is attempting to hear a person at a deep level, that sometimes what God is asking us to do is to engage a situation in a Christ-like way, and what love is going to look like in that situation is a willingness to not prescribe, but simply to hear. Very hard for some of us to do this. But it becomes a healing point. So there are times where God's going to call us to take action, to say, I need to do something here. These compassion opportunities that are presenting to us all the time, a conversation we probably need to have, but do we really want to have it? Do I really have the energy to have this conversation? Would it be just a lot easier to ignore it? and pretend it doesn't exist. That way, I don't have to deal with it. That's their problem. I don't want to carry that problem. God doesn't want to. Look, but does he? Is this my neighbor? Again, there are times where helping a stranger, which is the mo one of the most right things we can ever do and caring things we can do, and good is done in Jesus' name, is far more easier than the hard work of actually engaging a situation that's going to cost us a lot of emotional energy with a not necessary conclusive payoff but we do it in the name of Jesus because he's asking us to. Thirdly, and it connects right into it, and I, to me, this is one of the most underappreciated aspects of the story, is that there are going to be times when we need to cultivate, like the Samaritan, an uncommon tenderness. And I was struck by that. I don't know why. Maybe because there's something about the Samaritan's tenderness is, is, I think, so beautiful to me. I mean, he gets down. Jesus, the way Jesus portrays him, he's down there, and he's finding him. And you can feel the tenderness in the story. Here is this man. I say, I, I got you, man. I got you. And, 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 he, and he's covering him up. And you, Jesus is saying he's holding him up there. And he's trying to take care of him. I'm, I don't worry. I know you're hurting. I, I'm going to get you up here. Okay? We're going to be okay. And there's a, there's a tenderness to it. It reminds me of how even Jesus was always known as a tender man. And, and frequently, he would be, they would talk about his, the Bible say, because Jesus could have just said things, but oftentimes he would touch someone. And like when he would touch the skin of a leper, who everybody was afraid of and no one wanted to be. You see, I understand that there's reasons why people were afraid. I'm not, but he would touch them. Sometimes it was just a touch. The touch, the tenderness of Christ. That is not a weak man, by the way but there was an essential tenderness to him. Some of us, not all of us, some of you are really great at it, but some of us, we really struggle here. What would tenderness look like in our relationships? Maybe we were, we were shaped and molded. Maybe our background is, well, I don't know, that's not what I do. But you know what? In Christ, we are called to look like Jesus. And we are invited to welcome them in so that our heart is tender and we are able to be a tender people. And there has to be that dynamic to anyone who's growing in love. What would that look like? Some of us are very capable of serving someone else in the name of the Lord, but then we are not tender in our critical relationships with people who we say we are committed to in love. And there comes over time a kind of harshness, a kind of, of, of casual 
um, how would say it, it how would you capture it? That a casualness that assumes that, well, you already know how I feel. But that, that ability to, again, I go back to the other parable that Jesus taught with the parable of the prodigal son. Remember, remember? It's like the father's picture is he catches him, he gets his son, and he's just kissing him. I love you, son. He's crying. That's tenderness. The tenderness of Christ, the, the love of God at work in us. It's going to change the way we love people. Last thing. Fourth, final, done. Okay? There are going to be times when you and I are going to be called to go the extra mile and, I per and, and exercise an extravagant kindness. Not just a kind, an extravagant kindness. Ex that's what Jesus was saying. He wasn't just kind. He was extravagantly kind. It went way beyond. And again, there are times where God's going to ask us, ask us to go the extra mile. And listen, you, here's the deal. My extra mile and your extra mile, they're not the same mile. Here's the point. Our job is not to assess other people going the extra mile. Our job is to take a look at our own heart and ask ourselves, am I willing to go the extra mile in the context that God has placed me? And you know what? You can't box that in and say, here's the rule book on this one. Here's where i got to show up here. No, 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 no. That's why whenever Jesus would give a story, he wouldn't give it the way they wanted him to give it. Just give us the details. Give us the rule. We'll honor it. Jesus said, no, no, no. you got to work this thing through inside of you. you got to ask the harder question. you got to wrestle with this truth. you got to ask yourself, how does it apply to me? It's not a one-size-fits-all. It's a, something that's got to be working inside of us. We're going to have trouble with it. You're going to have to wrestle with it. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to cost me something. That's okay, because that's where real growth happens. That's the point. A lot of times we're going to have be challenged, and stretched to implement what we say we believe, and that's good. That's very good. That's one of the reasons I'm so excited about what we're doing as a church, because we get to push into the harvest we say we believe in. I love that when God gives us opportunities to step forward and respond. Even though it's not fun all the time, it creates new things in us. Life flows. It's like, and like that, that, that seed you hear me talk about all the time, the seed busting out of the ground. It's like if you can see it in slow motion, it's busting out of the ground. There's, there's something about it that is pleasing to God, and it's the way we shine his light. Now, let me pray. I'm going to go ahead and ask God to bless our time here. Lord, I want to thank you for the stunning and overwhelming privilege to be able to talk about who you are and the things that you've given us to live by. And I know this, Lord, that whenever your words are planted inside of the ground, stunning harvest comes. Whenever your words of life and the way you model life infects our soul, and I mean in a good way, Lord, all of a sudden what bursts out of that is something that looks like you. And it just kind of rolls out like a bubbling stream of life, like a rolling spring touching and bringing life down into the dark and dry places where so many live. And Lord, we want to be that kind of a people. We know we'll never get it all down. We're not going to get it all together. We're growing to always new things. But I, I pray that we would be thinking about what it means to refuse to simply take the easy way, but instead to choose to be a responsive people who are willing to boldly act upon the compassion when it strikes us. And I ask that we would live with your eyes, respond with your heart, and grow into your likeness. This is what I pray. I pray that you bless our closing song, bless the commitment of our giving. May it honor you as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.